Church, Andover Campus, in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. This is my son. My love with him, I am well pleased. Uh, we actually get that twice in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we got it once at, at the beginning of this season. If, if you've been here for the last several weeks, or many of them, we've been in this season that we call Epiphany, this season of Christ being revealed. And uh, it, we, we move into that season at a day that we call Baptism of Christ Sunday. And uh, early on, this is really the first time we see Christ as an adult in the Gospel of Matthew. He's coming to be baptized. And at the end of that baptism, we hear, this is my son, my love. With him, I'm well pleased. And now we've come all the way to the end of Epiphany, come all the way to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, where God says it a second time. And uh, it's interesting the two points that this comes, and in some ways they couldn't be more different. When, when Jesus comes to be baptized, uh, he, he comes and John the Baptist says, you have no business being here. He, he says, I'm not worthy to unstrap your sandals. Why should I baptize you? And I don't think the suggestion here is we should find someone else to baptize you or you should baptize yourself. When, when John's baptizing it's a baptism of what? It's a baptism of repentance. And so when Jesus comes to be baptized, in these waters with sinners who are coming to claim, we have gone astray, we've gone the wrong way, and we need to be washed clean and we need to turn back to God, they're coming to this baptism of repentance for sinners. And now John has said this, he, he's the one and when he's coming, the sinners in the water, they expect that this is the Savior who doesn't need to come down into these waters, right? He's the exact opposite of all of this. And instead, Jesus says, no, I'm supposed to be baptized. And John says, this doesn't make any sense. You have no business being in these waters. But Jesus says, well, it's to fulfill all righteousness, which is to say, uh, I'm, I'm coming here and doing this because this is what God wants. The, the very first claim of Christ's adult ministry, of his adult life, is that what God wants is for me to come all the way down and to be counted among you, to be counted among sinners. And so when he's baptized, and, and I'm sure there must be all sorts of confusion, we totally misunderstood what a Messiah would be. And it's at this point that the Father rips open the heavens and says, this is my son, and I'm pleased with him. Uh, if, if anyone is doubting at this moment that somehow he is separate, that somehow he's different, the Father rips open the heavens and says, this is my son. And so you get this affirmation at the point that he has gone as low as he can go. He's come into the waters of baptism for repentance, even though he's committed no sin. I, uh, I wonder if the first mistake we make with Jesus often is, is 
pretty similar to John's. We can't imagine that he would actually come this low, that he would be associated with sinners. Uh, I met with somebody earlier this week who said, look, I, I get the big idea for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. She said, I, I can understand the idea that God loves everyone. God loves the world. She said, what I'm really struggling with is the idea that God would love me. Uh, she said, you, I, I know me. I know the things I've done. I know the things that I continue to deal with. She said, it's really hard for me to believe that God loves me. I, I think that has something to do with this idea that, uh, that John would have that says, surely he doesn't belong in these waters. And the very first claim of God in, in Christ's adult ministry is, this is exactly where he belongs. That he belongs with us. And he has staked that claim. And it's not just for God so loved the world, but that he loves you. And that he associates not just with saints, but, but with sinners. And the Father affirms, in this moment, he is the Son of God. And then we come all the way from that baptism and the beginning of Epiphany now to this point that's almost entirely the opposite. He's gone all the way up, it says, to a very high mountain. And, and who's he there with? He's there with Moses and Elijah. And he's there with, uh, with his disciples, three of his disciples. Now, to be in the presence of Moses and Elijah at this time, have you ever had the question, the, uh, if, you, if you could eat, if you could have a meal with anyone, dead or alive, who would you choose? And I've heard people name all sorts of people. Abraham Lincoln, one of the Beatles, or I guess some of the Beatles, you could still do that, living or dead, right? Uh, if you are a young Jewish boy at the time of Jesus, and somebody says, if you could have a meal with any two people, this is an easy answer. It's Moses and Elijah. These are the two. They represent what we, we see the Old Testament today, and they would call it the law and the prophets. These are the two that have spoken to us the words of God that we understand how to live. We understand who God is and what life is because of these two. And so there Jesus stands with Moses and with Elijah. And the interesting thing here is that uh, when the Father speaks, he doesn't even acknowledge Moses or Elijah. He speaks about Jesus. I, I think this is uh, a second mistake that sometimes we miss. The first one is that we have a hard time imagining that Jesus could go as, as low as coming into the waters of baptism with sinners and that he could associate with us. I think the second is actually that we see him only go going as high as being among the saints. Now, we don't actually, if, if I gave you a test, if we gave, gave you something to check off as you came in here today, and there was a question, is Jesus greater than Moses and Elijah? I, I think most of you, you'd pass the test. You'd be like, yeah, he's, he's greater than. But I think we still can commonly make this mistake where we really just see Jesus as among the saints. We see him as this great teacher, this great example for us to follow. We ask, what would Jesus do, at least if we lived in the 90s? Um, 
these people, they can command your respect. They can maybe even command your allegiance. But they can't command your worship. And up on this mountain, the, the Father makes clear that Jesus is separate from all the rest of them. Sometimes we look at this transfiguration and we see it just as this mountaintop experience. Have you had this mountaintop experience where you have seen Jesus in all his glory? Uh, but I think there's more going on here than just that. This is, one scholar says, the transfiguration. It's not about mountaintop experiences. It's about the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, bearing witness to the Son. The reason that they spoke and existed was that they could speak about Christ. He's also there with uh, Peter, who he's just said, uh, he's renamed him. And he said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And some people look at that and they say, this is naming Peter as the first leader, the first pope, the, the first person who would lead God's early church. And so here Jesus is with the leaders of the early church. And it's really easy, easy for us in this setting to look at that and say, well, of course Jesus is greater. Of course he's greater than these other leaders of the early church. But uh, I, I think there are times that we need to be reminded of what they were reminded of then. This is the Son of God. Stop and listen to him. Because, see, uh, actually, when God speaks, it says that he spoke while Peter was still speaking. If any of you ever, uh, do you have friends or family who have graciously cut you off when you were making a fool of yourself? <laughs> and finally, somebody else just interrupts. Look, if, if you see a friend, a close friend or a family member or a colleague just making a fool of themselves, can actually be a very gracious thing for you to just interrupt them. Just stop them from talking anymore. And, and so here, Peter has been looking around and he sees Moses and Elijah and he sees Jesus and he says, let's build booths, let's, let's set something up, let's do something important. And right in the middle of that, the father cuts him off. And he says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Then he says, Listen to him. The, this moment of great revelation of Christ as the very Son of God. He's the one that the law and the prophets have pointed to. The Father just says, listen to him. Why? We listen to lots of people. There are a lot of people in our lives who are some sort of authority figure. They speak and it influences us. We listen. Um, who, who do you listen to? Is there anyone you listen to as near absolute authority? For, for those disciples, they see Moses and Elijah, and surely these would be their great authorities. How could you listen to anyone above them until the Father said, no, it's this one. He's my son. Listen to him. Uh, who is it for you? Are there great teachers of wisdom in your life? If you are a good Methodist, one of your answers would be John Wesley. It might be Chad Foster, too. Uh, do you listen to them? And, and by the way, of, of all the people you could listen to, um, I, I would put a plug in for John Wesley. I think he was a, a brilliant interpreter of Scripture. 
pointing us to the way that leads to life. And, and uh, let me just say to you, I, you all are blessed here to have Chad as your pastor. Uh, he is someone who thinks with depth and nuance and is uh, seeking for himself to be a man of God and desperately wants it for you. Uh, of, of all the people you could listen to, uh, they're, they're on a short list for me. Who else do you grant authority? Uh, some of you, as a good son or daughter, your parents have had that word in your life. And that might be even if you are, you are grandparents now, you still may have had parents who to this day, the words they spoke to you, those were authoritative, definitive words. And, and some of those might have been great words of grace and truth. Some of them, they might have been words that you're, uh, you're still suffering from because they weren't fully true about who you are. Who are your great teachers of wisdom? Some of us... Uh, there are, there are people in our history. Uh, Abraham Lincoln has become like this wisdom guru in America today. Uh, or maybe more recently for you, it's Oprah. Uh, or Eckhart Tolle. You have these people who speak and you say, oh, it's true. Uh, for some of us, and this is one I'm particularly wary of today, I, I think our political parties are speaking in ways that many of us are granting nearly absolute truth. Whichever party I'm a part of, whoever I read, whoever I listen to on the radio, pretty much whatever they say, I, I follow. And, uh, and I'm wary of that because I have not yet found a political party that I think is first listening to Christ. I, I think you can find some glimmers, but uh, I, I'm wary that we in the church can turn into idols our political parties thinking that they have absolute truth, and we don't believe they do. Who is it you're listening to, and, and, and why don't we listen to Jesus? Why would, why would the Father need to say, listen to him? Isn't that obvious and clear? Why don't we listen to Jesus? Well, for Peter, I think he was so concerned about his own idea of what to do, or, or just about doing something for Jesus, that he's having a hard time listening. For any of you do, you, do you just occasionally, you are so wrapped up in working out what you should do that to stop and listen to Jesus is really difficult. You're, you're too concerned about your action. When God finally speaks, Peter, all of his action, all the things he wants to do, they stop. It's just listen to him. Uh, for Peter earlier, just a chapter earlier, these, these are the first two things that Peter says after uh, the Father, or, or after Jesus says, he's gonna lead my church. The first two things Peter says are entirely wrong, which uh, I stand here as a church leader to say to you, uh, should at least suggest to us, look, church leaders are not infallible. <laughs> Jesus says, Peter, you're the first pope. And the first two things Peter says are, there's no way you can be crucified and let's build some booths. And the first time Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And the second time the father just interrupts him. You're making a fool of yourself. Uh, why, why would Peter say, no, there's no way you can go to the cross? Well, because 
I, I think he has an idea that Christianity would be full of success and triumph and uh, this notion of what God should be like. And if we find ourselves saying, well, I could never be, believe in a God who, this is what God should be like. This is what life should be like if God is on your side. I, I think we have to at least first go to the scriptures and say, is that what we find in Christ? Uh, I, sometimes I think we don't listen to Jesus because what he says and what he points us toward, it wouldn't be acceptable in our culture. And I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus, his, his words, his actions, his desires, they have never been fully acceptable in our culture. For any of the notions that Jesus was just this incredibly loving prophet who held lambs and children he was not crucified because he was just so darn nice. Um, he was offensive. He said things that if you took a poll in the culture, the leaders, they didn't like it. It's not what people wanted to hear. And sometimes we don't listen to Jesus today because we, we really like what's acceptable. But I, I don't think it's ever been true in the history of the world since that Jesus was fully acceptable in our world. And so the, the challenge to us is, will, will you listen to him? Will you choose to listen to Jesus instead of all the other voices that you could listen to, especially including the voices inside? Um, will you listen to Jesus when he says that those who suffer are blessed? He comes and he preaches this Sermon on the Mount and, and he speaks of all these people who have the presence of God with them. Here are the people who are blessed, the people who are destitute, the people who are brokenhearted, the people who are powerless. Now, if you use social media, uh, I, I invite you this afternoon, go search the ha hashtag blessed. And my guess is you will not find destitute and powerless and brokenhearted. You will find people who just got a new house, got a new job, got a new car. They're on the beach and they took a picture of their feet and a mimosa and they put hashtag blessed. And, and I, don't, I don't want to suggest to you that they're not blessed, but that's not who Jesus speaks to first. And so when you find yourself destitute and brokenhearted and powerless, will you believe Jesus' words that you are blessed and God is with you at that moment, or will you believe our world that would suggest something different? Do you believe Jesus when he says that those who serve are blessed, the merciful and the pure in heart? Do you believe Jesus when he names our identity as salt of the earth and light of the world? He doesn't say you should be, you ought to be, you should be ashamed because you haven't been. He simply says you are. Whatever other identities you claim for yourself, the identity that Christ has claimed for all of us is that we are salt of the earth and light of the world. Will you listen to Jesus when he tells us to go and be reconciled to our enemies before we show up at the altar? If there's anything broken in a relationship, go and fix that. Quit showing up at worship asking, acting as if all's okay if it's not. Will, will you listen to Jesus when he tells us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? Um, at the transfiguration, we see the Father saying, look, everything has pointed us to this person. He is the Son of God. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful that we're in this year with Jesus as a whole First Church uh, congregation. It gives us this opportunity to just be immersed this year in the words and works of Christ. 
And I, I believe that uh, they can change us. I believe that deep immersion in, in the Son of God's words and works transforms who we are because it, it speaks contrary to all the other voices that would try to name who we are when we're not, that would try to name who's blessed when Christ says otherwise, that would try to name for us what morality is when Christ names it for us in a different way than our world will. Um, I, I invite you, if you haven't already, to just take the invitation this year to be immersed in the word and the works of Christ, to, to ask what word he has for us and, and to listen to him. As we come to uh, communion now, we come to a table where we, we encounter Christ. And uh, so this is his invitation to us. And I invite you to listen to his invitation to you and all of us now.